The Ensemble podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. This content is created in partnership with our sponsor, Morningstar IM, ABN 54071808501, AFSL 228986, and Mason Stevens Limited, ABN 91141447207, AFSL 351578, and is limited to publicly available information. Before acting on any general advice, you should consider whether appropriate and obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. Ensemble does not hold an AFS license and does not provide any financial advice or services or endorse any general advice. If a PDS or IM exists, you should obtain a copy and review it thoroughly before making a decision. The opinions expressed within this podcast are solely the individuals and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of Mason Stevens, Morningstar or Ensemble. How are you now? And welcome to the Ensemble Investment Podcast. My name is James Whelan, VFS Group Investment Manager, and I'm here to represent you, the humble advisor, doing their best to walk the line between client interests and asset class selection. We're trying to find the things that are not only appropriate, but that are actually working to be in the right things at the right weight for the right clients. So get set because myself and Morningstar are going to do our absolute best to answer some of the questions that have come up over the Ensemble platform. All the information contained is general in nature. So here we go. Morningstar Investment Management Australia is delighted to be sponsoring Ensemble's investment podcast series designed to equip advisors to have more meaningful conversations with clients. Morningstar Investment Management is a global leader in asset allocation, investment research and portfolio construction. Specialising in investing, behavioural coaching and practice optimization. Morningstar strives to give advisors the tools to confidently navigate their clients' complex needs. Morningstar, empowering investor success. This series is brought to you by Mason Stevens, a specialist wealth platform provider that focuses on managed account solutions. Recognised by Investment Trends in 2023 as the most improved platform and by Advisor Ratings in 2022 for best advisor support, Mason Stevens offers outsourced CIO services that complement their platform and managed account solutions. Established in 2010, Mason Stevens is led by some of Australia's most experienced finance and investment professionals. How are you now? And welcome to the Ensemble Investment Podcast, brought to you by Morningstar. My name is James Whelan, Managing Director of Barclay Pierce Capital Asset Management Team. I am doing the absolute best that I can to represent you, the humble advisor, who is also doing their best to walk the line between the client interests and asset class selection. We're trying to find the things that are not only appropriate, but are also the things that work, and maybe try to find the time to be in the right way, I think, for the right clients. So get set because myself and Morningstar are going to do our best to answer some of the questions that have come up on the Ensemble platform. And obviously, all information contained is general in nature. We're getting a little bit functional today. We've had many amazing podcasts going through advisor questions, talking about markets and various asset classes. We've really done some amazing work there. This one is a bit more functional. Now, myself coming in off the off the top rope as a former old operations manager, I prefer this sort of chat. I'm not going to lie to you because it is actually the way that you structure a business, the way that you structure a a stockbroker or portfolio manager or anything that you want to do for yourself, this really is is a bit different. We're talking about investment committees today, and this is why it's so important that we've got someone like uh, Mason Stevens in to help us out because this is sort of what they do, and we're going to get into that uh, really good. Now, I can tell you that it's very helpful that we have this conversation today because I am literally uh, speaking to you uh, in the midst of building an asset management business, but also putting together an investment committee as we speak. I could tell you right now, I was uh, I was informed by my daughter over the weekend that the grey on my hair is a little bit more grey than it was when I started doing this a few weeks ago. Um, it is stressful. It is big. Um, I'm starting to think that maybe outsourcing it would be the way to go. So we're going to get into that. 
of why this is necessary. What's and we're going to talk about what's going on in markets to warrant the necessity for an investment committee. We're going to talk, go through the questions that you've got, the common traps, impacts, the governance, and everything that's going on. So there's a really good functional sort of chat that's going on uh, here. I couldn't ask for better names to get us there after that long-winded introduction. I'm sorry uh, to get us. I couldn't ask for any better names to get us there than the Mason Stevens Chief Investment Officer Jackie Fernley. And I've got from Morningstar is the incredible Jody Fitzgerald, usual guest, head of Insto Investment Allocation. Jackie, Jody, how are you now? Good, thank you. Great, thanks, James. No worries. Now, uh, Jackie, everyone gets the same mood setting question. Don't take any offence to it, but it's just it's a good way to introduce yourself. And also because Mason Stevens is is such a niche company that um, that I'm sort of interested in the way that the, 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 the layers work there. Um, what do you do, and how do you make money? Sure, thanks, James. Uh, Mason Stevens is an investment platform, as many of you may know, but we are an investment platform that focuses on managed accounts. And because of our focus, we wrap around an outsource CIO offering, which I lead, which really in a very simple terms is all about supporting wealth practices in the transformation towards building their business around a suite of managed accounts. And then post that journey, uh, to work hand in glove in partnership with them to uh, continue to support that um, the investment committee around those managed accounts to deliver great outcomes for clients. Well, that's 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 exactly the sort of uh, introduction that I needed to hear because it is very much in line with what it is that we're going to be talking today. Obviously, so we made sure that we get the right guest for the right thing. That's a little bit obvious. Um, now. I have noticed, let's start with a bit of a weather check. Um, and I was sort of thinking about my own career, as I often do, thinking about the path that I've had, but also just the last couple of years of myself being a, an advisor. Over the last few years, the ease at which not only more asset classes could be added to a portfolio, but also the geographic diversity of all of those classes as well, means that I can allocate a retail client to a portfolio that would look very similar to a hedge fund, for example. Not that I did. You, you could have Japanese bonds, you could have US corporate debt, you could have a long, short, anything that you want to, to, to be in there, the weight of these with the currency hedging in there as well. And and I think that we spent so long trying to figure out if we could that, quote, the Jurassic Park quote, we, we spent so long figuring out if we could. We didn't stop to think whether we should and and are we really competent and qualified to be able to make some of these decisions that are there. Are they, I, I'll start, Jody. Um, we'll, we'll head over in your direction first off. The weight of assets around the world. Are there too are there too many options that are out there for an individual to have control over? Yeah, it's a really good question because you're right with regards to the complexity um, and the increase in complexity that we're seeing in product offerings that are available for people to put into portfolios. And I think what the real challenge is is it, it's multifaceted. Actually, firstly, it's do you have enough expertise as an individual, assuming you don't have an investment committee, obviously to fully understand all of those capital markets, all of those asset classes. The other element is, do you have enough expertise to understand the interaction of those asset segments? So a lot of people will look at an individual manager or a product in isolation and not necessarily think through, well, how does A interact with B when certain market conditions play out? I think the other element that adds even more complexity in the go-forward market environment is that we have stepped out of a market environment where we've had perpetually low interest rates and asset price inflation. So therefore, it was really easy to actually earn an investment return. You just had to have an exposure. Going forward, though, risk management is actually so much more important. It's more important than we've actually seen it uh, in terms of the key. It's always played a key role. 
but it is really front and centre now, more so than it has been for a very long time. And I actually think there's a lot of people out there who just don't truly appreciate the way risks in a portfolio come together. Often, uh, one plus one will equal five when it comes to portfolio construction. So when you then add product complexity to that, it does start to become a very difficult game to claim that you actually have the expertise across the board as an individual. Jackie, I'm, I'm going to pose a similar question to you just about the, the the diversity of assets and how many options are actually available and whether whether individuals should or should should have should have control over that much that much choice. Oh, look, I couldn't agree more with what Jody's actually already articulated. The thing that I would point to in addition to that, and the way I, I suppose I think about it is what are your circles of competence and too often I find that people don't necessarily look themselves in the mirror and actually determine well what can I decide what 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 do I have the skill set to decide and therefore where do I need support in the other decisions because I'm I'm probably in many instances out of my competency um, and so when you keep adding and adding and adding the complexity that Jody's already talked to, you've got to be really humble when you face into the market in the best of best of days, but also humble when you face into the decisions that are available to you and really decide whether or not you, you really can have a view on Japanese bonds, for example. And then the other thing I would also talk to is um, Joni spoke to interactions and that's incredibly important to understand how all of the interplay between all of these assets. But the other piece of the puzzle is can you see what you own um, in aggregate? For example, if you do have a suite of managers or, a, or a managers and ETFs, what is your look through? Where are your overweights, underweights? Where is your duration, for example, sitting in the portfolio versus your benchmarks, et cetera? Like there's there's actually a lot of complexity that is then borne out by trying to actually understand what you own in the first instance, and then you need to risk manage it. So do you have the portfolio analytics system that's going to allow you to see? And more often than not, my experience is that you don't. Should that be should that be one of the main questions that a, a company asks themselves as to whether or not they need to have an investment committee in place about a, a, about look through or is it is is this more a question about sort of what sort of platform you're using? Well, I think the look through if you're managing client portfolios individually, and what I mean by that is one client by one client by one client, and you're not attached to a managed account solution that's being well managed in an investment committee setting then that makes it even harder because what often happens is that that individual account's not being rebalanced appropriately. So to Jody's point, your um, your risk budgeting and your risk management's heightened because you can't possibly do that level of work around portfolio construction on an individual client basis. So it is, to, in my mind, I think the platforms all do a reasonably good job um, but none of them uh, give you your look through value, your look through understanding of the portfolio. You need additional software and tools to do that. Um, and you know, I just can't imagine trying to do that in an environment where you're not sitting in a managed account solution of some description. Yeah, that's uh, th- that is one that I'm going to have to agree with you on there. Uh, 
Absolutely, Jackie. Now, as as you may have heard, I am just going through the advisor questions that have been posed on the Ensemble platform. If you have any more questions for future podcasts, please don't hesitate to get in there and get into it. So I, I, we're going to go through them uh, as we as we do. We've already hit one that's there just to, just to sort of determine if your practice should have an investment committee. What's the impact of setting one up incorrectly is one of the questions that we've got here. And I, I am going to pose these and, and because we're, we're doing this over the phone, it's sort of difficult to see who, who wants to answer these ones. So I'm just going to let you, anyone who wants to jump in with an answer to the questions, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's lots of uh, issues associated with setting it up incorrectly. Um, starting with, I guess, firstly, you may not achieve the end objective from a portfolio perspective in terms of the return and risk profile that you're aiming to achieve for your clients. Um, you can run into situations where I think one of the biggest challenges in an investment committee environment is who is responsible, who owns the end performance. So if something's not working, who has that accountability? And without accountability, it's then difficult to have appropriate decision-making uh, within the investment committee. Now, if you have slow decision-making or inappropriate decision-making, then that can just lead to portfolios that are not responsive to the market environment, that are all too responsive, so really focused on you know last quarter's numbers or last year's numbers, and that effectively you just see either a portfolio that just has a huge amount of inertia or a portfolio with a lot of turnover that ends up being very costly to the to the end client. Yeah, that, um, so I, I was just sort of thinking as you were talking there that, that if you've got if your management structure is still not amazing, I want to say not amazing, because well, I, I've been inside a lot of brokers and I've seen a lot, I've seen the insights, so I've seen ones that work and I've seen ones that don't. That you could have all the investment committee and structure and, and and amazingness as you possibly want, but if the the actual business is still dysfunctional, then it's not going to do you any good. I think what's really important is to ask yourself. You know, a lot of people when they're thinking about investment committees, it's about oh, what's the structure and how do I document it and blah blah blah. Just take a step back from that, even yeah. before we start, and say, well, why do I need an investment committee? Like, why am I setting one up? And the reality is there's one of two reasons that you're setting it up. One is that you want it to be a decision-making forum. So you want the committee to be ultimately accountable for the end performance of client portfolios, or you're setting it up as a governance framework. Now, the two then lead to very, very different ways in which that committee should operate and function. But understanding that the why is so important and critical. The next element, which I think then becomes uh, a trap or a mistake for a lot of groups, is that they then rush forward and set up an investment committee. So assuming you've know, chosen their path of it'll be a governance structure or decision-making forum and start to then just put in place sort of the, the functionality of it. The absolute critical step before you do any of this is that what are your investment beliefs as a firm? Because it's actually not feasible for a committee, whether it is a decision-making committee or whether it's a governance committee, to actually achieve what it needs to, unless it knows exactly what it's attempting to achieve. And that's because, you know, investing is very judgment-based. So how do you actually look at those judgments that are being made and determine whether they're appropriate or whether they're not if you haven't actually conducted a proper investment belief session? So what is the mission? What are you trying to achieve um, you know, what's important to the business. Now, this will be different for every business because every business has very different client bases. So your, yeah, so your investment beliefs should really be tailored to the type of client you are looking to attract to your firm. Um, and then from those investment beliefs, you can then start to sort of step through, well, what should this committee be using as the milestones to judge decision-making or to 
uh, make decisions with regards to the portfolios. Now, Jackie, can you answer this question for me? Uh, why am I why am I making an investment committee? Probably a little bit too obvious. Why why am I doing this? Um, how do you get how do you get set getting those investment goals from the Mason Stevens direction or your experience there? And you know what's what sort of analysis would would one need to do to be able to start putting that sort of structure together that Jody just mentioned? Sure, and and Jody's absolutely right. You start with your why. Why why are we doing this? Normally, the why comes. You know, fundamentally because you want to deliver consistent and better client outcomes across the your wealth practice is generally the big picture why. And you know, in my view, hopefully moving to a managed account solution, often an investment committee is um, set up and they're running a paper portfolio. And then, then the advisors are picking the eyes out of those positions and missing the fact that those positions hopefully are set um, with some form of portfolio construction and portfolio risk budgeting attached to them. So when you cherry pick, you, you cause additional problems. But you, you've really got to start in that very first step, which is what is your client value proposition to your end client? What is my why? What is my investment philosophy and process and you've got you've really got to do that early stakeholder engagement um, and get the business also along the the journey so that you get buy-in early. But it's a very important step. Um, and I've seen so many mistakes made by, for example, not being clear on investment philosophy philosophy and beliefs. And then you get a group of people sitting in around around the room, some of whom come, you know, think that then um, a hedge fund and, and want to build portfolios that look like a hedge fund for a retail investor. And then you've got other people in the room who are potentially trying to to build portfolios that look more appropriate for a retail investor, for example, but you've got this group of people that don't have a structure that they're working to because that groundwork was never set in in place in the first instance, yeah, and yeah. It, it's that early work that is so important in order to see success in the output, and it's often missed. Okay, so, so the, no, no, go, sorry, James. I was about to say, I think one of the biggest and easiest examples to draw on is people's investment beliefs around what are you trying to achieve from a return and risk perspective. And I'll, I'll give you some examples because we we often hold investment belief sessions with clients to help them walk through this. Because what we tend to find is that during certain points of a market cycle, clients tend to forget what they were trying to achieve and behave in a way that actually is detrimental to the end result of the client portfolio. So when you are setting an investment belief, you need to ask yourself, what is important to my end clients? Is it CPI plus type return outcomes? So therefore, I care most about absolute performance and minimizing losses in drawdowns because it's all about wealth generation. or do you care mostly about actually outperforming a strategic gas allocations or policy benchmark? Or is what's most important your performance relative to peers or relative to you know any sort of uh, other competitors that your clients might go to? Now, all three of those objectives would lead to very, very different portfolio construction. So unless you're clear at the outset of what is actually important, when you get to certain points of a market cycle, you could have the portfolio actually doing exactly so. If it's a CPI plus type outcome, 
and you're in the middle of a bull market run uh, and you're just happily delivering CPI plus performance, not taking a lot of risk at all, generating real wealth, but you're not keeping pace with the 20, 30% returns that you're seeing in equity markets, the committee shouldn't respond negatively to that because it's actually doing what you intended it to do at the outset. I think the problem is most investors want a portfolio to perform well in all environments, be as cheap as possible and carry no risk. But the reality is that just doesn't work. So to have an investment, have an investment committee who really understand what the business is trying to achieve for their clients, what's important to their clients, and then making sure that the governance structure is judging the investment results relative to that is just absolutely critical. I think it's probably something that, that needs to be spread across regardless of whether it's related to investment communities or not. But I think that in financial services, there are, there isn't enough of that self-assessment to no, say, well, why, why are we doing, are we on track, what, what, and continue to go back and revisit it. I, I, I know personally, just over my career, it's not happened. It's not happened enough. And I think that sometimes you do and, and they and to keep it on track. So we're going to keep on going with the functionality of this one. Is there? Do, do you think that there's a minimum size that an investment, uh, that, that a company needs to be before an investment committee becomes worthwhile? Look, I think there is. I'm not sure what that size is. I think in some respects, it just depends on the complexity of your business. So obviously, as your your assets under advice are, are increasing, you have arguably more client portfolios that you're overseeing. You will probably have clients that are quite diverse in terms of accumulation versus pension phase, different risk profiles, some who might have ESG preferences, et cetera. So the more assets that you are um, you know, have, Obviously, the more complex your business becomes and, and therefore it probably does make sense to consider those structures so that you can get consistent outcomes across your clients because that's what you want is that consistency as well. What that number is though, I think it really just depends on the interaction of the level of assets and the complexity of the client base and also the complexity of the assets that you're actually investing in as well. Okay. Well, just sticking with this one too, Jackie, what does the governance structure actually look like? For an investment committee, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty if we can and answer some of these actual physical, you know, the particular questions with the specifics. How how does the how does the setup actually work? Well, what what sort of things do you need to have in place? Sure. If we want to do, if we want to get into that piece, so I'd suppose first of all, you know, what's the delegation? Is that coming from the board of that wealth practice, for example? I'll just give you an example about my own internal um, investment committee. It's a board-delegated investment committee to run our internal capability. So first step, what does that look like? How do you get the authority? Who is it delegated from? It's the first instance. And then then you build, I mean, there are a lot of documents that that come off the back of this, depending again on the complexity as Jody's spoken with. We tend to break it up and we have it sort of reasonably well templated, but the first is the investment committee charter, uh, which is what decisions um, do you have? Where's that delegation come from? And how are decisions made? Is it, for example, everyone gets an equal vote? Is there a veto? Though all of that detail sort of largely comes in that investment committee charter. We then tend to have an investment governance framework document as well which goes into more nitty-gritty, but it also goes into the individuals that might be holding different positions at any particular time, and it goes into a lot of depth around a little bit more as to uh, who has authority to do what. 
and then then it becomes about a suite of uh, documents that fall off the back of that, which go to investment philosophy and beliefs, getting all that very clearly documented, your asset allocation frameworks, SAA, DAA or TAA, what is it that you're actually doing? How are those decisions made? And it then goes into investment objectives process and risk management. So all of those things are actually documented. And the hardest thing is to actually get clarity and agreement on all of that. But once that hard work's done, it allows you then to go constantly go back into that and be very clear around what the process is, how decisions are made, what decisions are made, rather than the IC ending up being into going into all sorts of directions and rabbit holes that it really shouldn't go into. I know what and, you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and there's other pieces of the puzzle. Normally you'd have an ESG policy of some description and a, a product selection policy. You know, how you know how are how to manage funds, for example, get into a portfolio. Who how does that work, etc. So it sounds quite boring and possibly like a little bit of a mountain if you're sitting on the other side of, of this web this podcast. Trust me. <laughs> it, it isn't as daunting as it might sound if you're, you know, and there are a number of people, very good asset consultants, people like Jody, who can help you get there. But yeah, it is. It's it's not a small feat to get there and do it well. That's uh, okay. So going on with this idea, and I like what you talked about with the the idea of groupthink, and we're going to talk about group th- or groupthink or just sort of people arguing. I've actually left my last, my previous employer. My last broker was one in which we, I, I, I put it delicately, the way that we came to conclusions or the way that we came to achieve results was just by yelling at each other. We were best <laughs> mates. We were best mates. All of us, all of us were, were, were a tight circle, but it would just be, okay, we're just going to sit here and just yell at each other for half an hour. And at the end of it, we're going to have something that's here. I'm not, it's not good for your stress levels. People often thought that we were actually really fighting, but it's just the way that we solved uh, solve problems and probably started a few more. I, I just had to leave it because it was just the stress was just too much for me to, to go through that. Not good for my heart. Um, not good for my drinking. What's and that, that that's how that we solve the groupthink situation where there's just, just two people have to take a different side of this and we're going to get through it. And there's going to be one pro or one con. Look, what what do you guys ensure? Probably it's a little bit safer and a little bit less um, involving of HR departments. How how would each of you ensure that you get a good mix and avoid that groupthink? Yeah, I think um, a gladiator-style investment committee is probably not ideal. But what what do you want? I, I think there's two sides to this, right? There's the group think, but then there's also ensuring you don't have a dominant voice either because that's not good either. So what you need to ensure is, I guess, you know, who, what skills is everybody bringing? Some people will simply set up an investment committee based on, you know, the most senior people in the business and maybe a couple of people that they know from the industry. You shouldn't really just use that as your default, um, going to the people that you know or the, the handful of people who are usually involved in decision making. So ensuring that each person is there for a particular purpose and skill set so that if that person actually stepped down from the investment committee, you would know exactly what skill set you were after to replace them. You also need to make sure um, that there's the, an appropriate culture within the committee. And maybe this gets back to your point. By culture in terms of, you know, it, it's really important to have constructive debate 
Um, but the debate needs to be about not saying you're wrong, right, right, but rather have you thought about this, have we thought about that, how will this impact, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, and it, it comes back to that concept of alignment of who is ultimately responsible, if you are all ultimately responsible for the end performance outcomes, then you all should have the same interest in getting the right result. So it shouldn't be about egos. It shouldn't be about I'm proposing this product, this manager, or this asset allocation tilt, and I'm going to you know stand by it through thick and thin. It should be approached with a, a level of intellectual maturity and flexibility of mindset to actually be proven wrong. Um, and that really just comes down to making sure that the people on your committee do have a flexible mindset in terms of the way they approach decision-making. Mm. Jackie, same question to you. How do you get around the groupthink situation? Yeah, I I think about an investment committee like I would think about a board. You, know, you really have to go to your skills matrix first, which is exactly what Jody just spoke to, um, ensuring that everyone with a vote has a vote for a reason uh, and and ensuring that you've got the capability across those people to um, align to the uh, agreed decisions that are available to that investment committee. So whether that's an SAA only or an SAA and a TAA or DAA and also you know manager selection, geographical tilts, style tilts, all of the things that can fall into a portfolio, you do need to make sure that when you link that back to the people in the room, then you, you've got someone or more multiple people who are able to speak to um, those types of decisions. Um, the other piece of the puzzle, and I really do find it um, better if you have an external and experienced chair because that can often uh, make up for the fact that the internal um, members of the investment committee often have their own internal hierarchy to deal with and politics to deal with. Um, and so that independent chair, if they know what they're doing, can um, ensure that the dynamics of play, the culture, um, the way decisions are made, uh, who gets to speak, all of those things are managed appropriately in that investment committee forum. Well, let's, let's – um, Yeah, go on. Sorry, I was, about, I was about to suggest that another um, – a committee that I was involved in quite some time ago now, one of the things that um, the chair did, which I thought was really clever, when we were in a situation where everybody just seemed to be agreeing with, it, with each other, there was that concern of is a group think? Are we all just sort of assuming that the macro outcome is, you know, heading in this one direction and we, have we got the blinkers on? So they actually acted, yeah, totally. So to counter that, they actually actively sought somebody external who they knew had been publicly quite vocal with the opposite view and invited them as a guest speaker to the investment committee to simply express. Yeah. So it just sort of, if you feel like, because you may not have groupthink, it might just be that actually it's a very strong consensus as opposed to groupthink. But if you feel that you need to challenge it, trying to find somebody that you can bring in as a guest speaker um, to try to challenge the way the entire committee is thinking has been was really, really valuable for this particular committee. Well, the other That's thing that you can do, sorry, James, um, is no, no, this one's all that, yeah. <laughs> give someone the mantle for that investment committee to be, <laughs> to take the other side, to be the bull when everyone else is bearish or vice versa yeah. um, and get 
you know, brief it in, but give them the that job. I find that's a bit less effective, though, when someone's trying to find the counter-argument versus someone who truly believes the counter-argument. But yes, because you can't always necessarily find someone out there who has a strong counter view. So that is that devil's advocate, assigning a devil's advocate does certainly work. But um, you know, if you can find someone in the marketplace who genuinely believes the opposite view, it's um, it, it's definitely worthwhile making yeah. friends with them. Well, <laughs> if we can, if and and it is good having a network around the market that that, that you can draw on for that sort of thing as well. Now, I, I don't mind going down this line of questioning. We've just got a few minutes left because I think I'm almost through the questions which have been posed through the Ensemble platform. But are there any other? So, Jackie, are there any other novel approaches outside the box like? bringing someone in external to speak that, that that you might have off the top of your head or may have, may have experienced in the past? Oh, look, I think I, I bring different people in. It just depends. Or we can, you know, you can also um, find uh, different pieces of research, for example, that you share within the investment committee that, that you can, you know, that might be the other argument. I'm often sharing with my investment committee's different schools of thought or things to think about ahead of the next meeting and then putting that as agenda items because I'm trying to curate a conversation around maybe something we haven't thought through or discussed. Um, that's probably off the top of my head the only other thing I can think of. Jody might have something else. Yeah, no, I just think that devil's advocate ones are, are really interesting and, and trying to have as many guest speakers as you can through time. It's just, you know, again, just brings a different perspective. Even if they've got a similar view to you, they may have reached that conclusion through a different angle, which in itself can be valuable information for you to take into account to help you understand when you should shift that opinion. Uh, okay, so, so we're all set. Now, what is the impact? Now, I'm going to take one of these questions to just extend it here a little bit. What is the impact of setting this up incorrectly is the question. But I want to go one step further and go, how do you know when you're, sit, when you're doing it wrong? So what's the, what's the impact, and then how do you how do you know where's the where's the assessment coming in to actually know that you're doing something wrong? I, both of you both of you need to answer this yeah. one, please, because it's, I think it's super relevant to uh, to what we're talking about. Yeah, I think um, sort of going back to my earlier comments that if you notice that the portfolio has too much inertia or too much turnover, if the pendulum's too far either side, something's not working properly. Um, either the you know, investment committee is not making decisions or they're too too reactive. That would be one trigger that I would consider. I mean, obviously, if the portfolios are not behaving the way that you expected them to, that again goes back importantly to linking into the investment beliefs and objectives. So if you have them set and the portfolio is not behaving the way you expected it to, then the investment committee is missed something in the right process of putting the portfolio together. So it whether that means you don't have the right skills or, or so forth, that there's something not working from from that perspective. That'd be the two key red flags that I would probably focus on. Jackie, if, have uh, you got anything? I wholeheartedly agree with Joni. The only thing I would add to that answer would be if you took a step back and reflect on the meetings themselves, uh, is everyone participating? Mm. Because there'll be a reason whether or not they are or they aren't. You know, do you have one person who's speaking too much and another person who isn't and, and does that align with their skill sets and capabilities? Just the human dynamics of that room and that conversation would be the other telltale sign. Yeah, I think that's a good point because um, if you've put somebody on the committee for a specific skill set and they're not speaking up, then you're not getting what you need. 
Yeah. Well, and finally, I think we're almost done here now. And thank you for the questions, everyone. Uh, how much time? How much time will all of this? How much time should all of this take a, a, a company? Not only just to set up, but how how often should they be meeting? Generally speaking, and and why, when, how much? Just sort of just Jackie. Yeah, that's it. You. Oh, Jody, no, no, go. Awesome. <laughs> oh, the joy of doing this uh, over uh, teams where we're not in the room together. Um, uh, I think, again, it goes back to why have you set it up? Is it a decision-making forum or a governance forum? If it's a governance forum quarterly and what you'll find is that it shouldn't be too onerous once it's set up um, outside of ensuring that all investment community members are reading the appropriate material, you know, at least a week prior, and then attending the meeting and, and contributing if it is actually a decision-making forum, what you'll find is it actually can be quite time-consuming, particularly as the market cycle is changing. Decisions may need to be made. You may need to be having circular resolutions. Investment committees may need to be monthly and not quarterly. So the why is really important because a decision-making investment committee forum can actually be significantly more consuming from a time perspective than a governance forum where you've delegated authority to whether it's in a consultant or um, an outsourced CIO or to an internal investment team that, that are making decisions and that you're assessing their ability to make those decisions. Jackie, same question there. Yeah, um, agree, agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say just to give frameworks, obviously it comes back to that mandate and that structure and also the investment philosophy. So if you're 100% SAA and you never tilt from it, then you may actually, and you're 100% managers, then you you might be, you know, also quarterly, even if you've got investment decisions to be made. If you are an SAA with a DAA or TAA tilt, and you're more active in your investment decisions, then you're likely to be monthly, and that meeting's likely to be a couple of hours. Um, and there might be circular resolutions and you know portfolio reporting and a whole host of other things that go on through that month. So it really is directly related to the complexity of the solution. Okay. Well, look, with that one, I always give my guests a chance for last bids. If anyone has anything to add, then speak now. Oh, look, from my oh, – I'm going to jump in, Jody. Sorry. No. <laughs> from my perspective, I think there is a very – the markets are never easy, and if we reflect on the last few years or three or four years, um, certainly this decade, uh, markets feel like they're more complex than not. Um, and so, I can't underestimate or undersell the importance of you know having a well-governed, well-structured investment committee such that client outcomes are really well managed through what is a far more volatile environment than we've had in the last decade. Um, and I do believe personally that managed accounts um, are the way in which you can scale your wealth practice, but ensure that your investment decisions are being made in um, an appropriate way for your wealth practice. So I think that will, in the end, get you much better and more compliant uh, in outcomes for your end client. That last one was the key word, I think, and more compliant as it becomes more and more of a an issue that needs to be got uh, around. The I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up there, Jody, unless you had anything to add at the end. No, that that's all good. Okay, thank you. No worries at all. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this ensemble investment podcast. Uh, I have been James Whelan, and I still am James Whelan here. I have been joined by Mason Stevens, Chief Investment Officer, Jackie Fernley. Jackie, thank you so much. 
Pleasure. And uh, again, fantastic to talk to Jody Fitzgerald, Head of Insto Investment Management at Morningstar. Thanks so much for that, Jody. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, everyone. Don't forget, hit the Ensemble platform, ask more questions, put more things in. We'll be able to box them up, put them together, and then take them to our next, uh, to our next guest. Until then, stay safe and hug your family and do all those amazing things that you should do. And just don't worry about your gray hairs. I'm going to go get back to my little process now with armed with everything that I've just learned from this, which is fantastic. Um, almost certainly, Jackie, I might just give you a call later on too. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks, everyone.